troubles and all our tears. God, our hope, He has overcome all our failures and all our fears. God, our love, He has overcome. God. Right. Well, it is that time of year, right? Christmas is over, and the new year is about to begin. And does anyone want this year to be better than last year? Yes. Hello. We're glad that it's over. So I'm going to teach you something today, and then I'm going to lay a challenge out before you. Um, we're going to focus on vision this month, and uh, probably, or actually next month, we're not out of December yet, but... Uh, in January, probably about the middle of January, third week of January, we're going to have a meeting, and uh, my hope is to sort of lay out a vision for where we are as a church and where we believe God is calling us to go. And uh, in the words of Lupe, whom uh, she said, you have some very ambitious plans, Kevin, and uh, these things are true. And so in light of that, I want to share with you guys that uh, coming up in the in, uh this coming month, and so I want to invite you. You'll hear about it. It'll be a, probably after a service, um, and we'll do like a family meeting or whatnot. But what I want to talk to you today about is something that is uh, a principle of the Scripture, but is often um, neglected, and uh, for for good reason. Uh, it's called fasting, right? And as soon as I say the word fasting, immediately your stomach your stomach rumbles in protest, right? Rawr, don't give me that fasting stuff. And so I want to talk to you about fasting, which is power through sacrifice. And the reason that we want to talk about fasting is that we want to kind of visioneer the church in a specific way this year. And we want to believe God for more than we've ever had. And we want to believe God to do more than we've ever done. And we want to believe God for next level stuff. Anybody want next level stuff? Yes? If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, he is yearning for the next level. You have a lion inside of you. The spirit of a lion resides in you. And the Holy Spirit is not content with staying the same. He doesn't like it. He wants to push you forward and take you higher and move you away from your past and into your future. So what's this deal with fasting? What is it? What is it? If it was a four-letter word, it would be. No. We, we neglect it for a lot of reasons because it's not easy. And we neglect it for a lot of reasons because oftentimes when people fast, they don't engage fasting with the spiritual component that it's designed to have. So fasting is the refraining from food for spiritual purposes. And the goal of that is, is that you set food aside or you set a time aside from food. And in that time that you've set aside, you're seeking the Lord rather than seeking that meal. You're hungering for the things of heaven and setting aside the things of earth. That's the premise behind fasting. It's found throughout scripture and it's a key to breakthrough and spiritual revelation. You'll see this applied. This principle of fasting is applied throughout the Bible. And you'll see that those who have engaged in the practice of fasting you will see that they operated in, in revelation or understanding and seeing and under, knowing the will of God. And they also operated in, in some very powerful breakthrough principles. They were able to obtain things that ordinary people were not able to obtain. 
and most of the stuff, there's spiritual breakthrough, there's all kinds of things that are intricately linked to fasting. Fasting is the mark of a believer's life. It marks our lives. Jesus in Matthew 6, so Matthew 4, 5, and 6 is basically a, a, a course passage of the Bible called the Sermon on the Mount. Some would say it's the manifesto of the king. And so the king comes and he declares his kingdom. And he declares what his kingdom looks like. He declares what he's all about. And he declares what his people are going to look like. And what, they're, what those who follow him in his kingdom are all about. And in Matthew 6, which is right in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells that he is, uh, in this passage, in this chapter, he says, when you pray, when you fast, and when you give. And so it's not being asked if you're going to pray. It's not being asked if you're going to fast. And it's not being asked if you're going to be generous or you're going to live and give. It's assumed. It's not only assumed, it's called upon that we do it. And while these things are invitations, they do not relate to our salvation, but they do relate to destiny. How many knows there's a difference between being saved and walking in destiny? Can we agree with that? There's a huge difference between receiving Christ as Lord and having your sins forgiven and beginning to walk into the life that God has called you and beginning to walk into your created destiny. Those are two entirely different things. And you can be born again, you can be saved, you can be forgiven, and you can be on your way to heaven or inheriting that world when, it, when, you, when you pass or when that world comes, but you can completely miss your created purpose in this life. You're created on purpose with a purpose. There's no question about that. The Bible says you were created before the foundations of the earth. God has chosen you for good works, that you would walk in them. It's his point. And so the issue is, is how do we walk in those good works? How do we receive the things of the Lord? Well, the only way we walk in those things and receive the things of the Lord is when we operate according to the things that he's laid out for us. And one of those is prayer. Uh, three of those, it's a threefold cord. Ecclesiastes says a threefold cord is not easily broken. Jesus gives us three things that produce spiritual power. Prayer, fasting, and generosity. Prayer, uh, fasting marks intimacy. Intimacy of the believer is marked by fasting. So what's happening in here, and there's a story in the chapter of Luke, and this happened to Jesus several times. There's a group of religious leaders who are called Pharisees. Anybody heard the word? Right? So if you want to know the difference between Pharisees and Sadducees, I'm going to tell you right now, and you'll be able to learn. Pharisees were rule keepers. They loved to keep the rules. Everything had to be light, 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 and tight and righteous because they were fair, you see. So the Pharisees were fair, you see. Everybody had to operate according to this high standard of holiness, and there had to be an outward display of perfection. The Sadducees, on the other hand, they didn't believe in the supernatural, and they didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. They believed only in the first five books of, the, of Moses, which would be the first five books of the Bible. So they, didn't deny, they denied the Holy Spirit, and they denied the resurrection from the dead. So they were sad, you see, because they were denying all of the power of God. And so there you see the difference between the Pharisees, they are fair, they believed in the supernatural, and the Pharisees believed in the resurrection from the dead. But they were just righteously religious rule keepers. And they were basically intolerant in grace. They had no grace whatsoever. And then the Sadducees just completely denied any aspect of the supernatural power of God whatsoever. And so here we see in Luke chapter 5, the Pharisees, because it's only fair, you see, that everybody operate according to the same rules. And so the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, why aren't your disciples fasting? Why? We fast, our disciples fast, John and his disciples, that guy over there, his disciples fast. It's all fair, you see. Why aren't your disciples fasting? And Jesus said, can they fast when the bridegroom is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom is taken from them, and then they will fast. Jesus is relating fasting to intimacy. 
He relates fasting. He, he, what Jesus does, Jesus exposes it all. He is the light of revelation. But his word oftentimes has to be understood and has to be looked at differently. It has to be looked at spiritually. It has to be looked at prophetically. And it has to be looked at through the depth of the knowledge that is already given. Jesus here is relating to fasting, his intimacy with, the, with him. And he says, listen, they don't need to fast because I'm sitting right here. I'm with them. But when I am gone and I am in the spirit, they will seek me. And they will want that greater intimacy that they have with me right now. Then they will fast. You don't have intimacy with the Lord. Fasting's your call. You want, you want closeness with the Lord? You've lost your edge. That depth of, of fire and passion is gone. Fasting is your call. So that's what Jesus calls us to. Fasting produces intimacy. Why do we fast? Why in the world would God want us to fast? Well, what fasting does is it produces an ability to hear from the Lord. We see again throughout Scripture. There's a pattern of fasting throughout the Bible. And I'm just going to illuminate three of them. Obviously, Jesus, we have Moses, and we have Daniel. And all of them fasted for these reasons that I'm about to tell you. But one of the primary reasons is the first one is to discern the will of the Father. They fasted to discern the will of the Father. So if you're going to get your theology right about Jesus, Jesus was God become man. Laying aside his deity, in other words, not accessing the faculties of his Godhead and relying solely upon the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus did. He's God in the flesh, yet he set aside his deity, not accessing his ability to, di to divine power. He received his divine power only by the Holy Spirit. Why? To become a model for you and I. That's why he did it. Jesus, Jesus came, lived, and died as a man, sinless. If he died as God, then we're not saved. He died as a man, fully God, fully man. But do you understand what I'm saying? He does not accessing his divinity you say, well, how was he able to perform all these divine wonders and miracles? By the power of the Holy Spirit. He returned from the wilderness, what? In the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon him. From that time forward, you see Jesus doing miracles. What is the point? The point is a pattern for you and I. That's the point. Is Jesus God? Yes. Is he man? Yes. But he did not live and breathe as God. And so Jesus required, required himself to fast. He lived a fasted life. If Jesus was God, and he was constantly walking around here as God, even though he was God, he was not accessing his attributes, why would he pray? Why would he dissociate himself from everybody and go and pray? If he was fully in con connection, he had to get into the spirit and had to illuminate and hear the will of the Father. That's why Jesus fasted. Jesus goes to Samaria, goes through the town of Samaria. And he's sitting on, the, and the, it says, the Bible says the disciples went into town to find food. So they go off to find Happy Meals. Jesus is sitting at the well with a Samaritan woman. And before he went to Samaria, it says he had to go through Samaria. Why did he have to go through Samaria? The Bible doesn't tell us why. But Jesus discerned in his spirit that he was to go through Samaria. Then we see Jesus at the well, and clearly he's fasting. Because they come to him and they go, Lord, aren't you hungry? He said, I'm eating a food you don't know of. Well, why was he fasting in that moment? Because he knew the Father had sent him to Samaria, and he's fasting in order to hear this Father as to what the mission in Samaria was. And he's discerning the will of the Father through fasting. You can study it out for yourself, and you can watch the pattern that he follows. It's true. Jesus learned to discern the will of the Father. He went into the wilderness for 40 days. Can we agree with that? Anybody know your Bible? You know the Hebrew word for, the Hebrew word for wilderness is to speak. It's the Hebrew word debar, D-E-B-A-R. So Jesus fasted and went to the place of speaking. He went into the wilderness to begin to hear the will of the Father. That's the whole point. 
So he went into the place of speaking. And so often Jesus fasted. We see a pattern of fasting in his life. We know Moses fasted. Moses is a guy who's called to lead millions of people out of slavery. Huh? Anybody who, you, you, can you, you can't even get your dog to do what you're trying to get him to do, right? Can you imagine millions of people trying to move them forward into what God has for them? The Bible says among the people there was a mixed multitude. In other words, some were down with the program and some weren't. Some didn't like the way it was all going down. You know, and it required Moses to fast and seek the Lord. And we know two times he, he fasted and he went up on the mountain to be with the Lord. And there were probably other times besides that. In the first fast, God showed him, this is what I want. This is how I want my people. This is who they are. They're a kingdom of priests. I want them called after me. No idols, Ten Commandments, that whole get up. And he, he gave him that. And so Moses brought that back to the people. The second time was when God says, okay, this is what I want my people to look like, Moses. So this is what you're going to lead them in. The second time he says is now I'm going to put a habitation among you. Now I'm going to show you what my presence looks like among my people. And I'm going to show you how to prescribe the atmosphere for my presence to come. And so God showed him how to build the tabernacle. Both times, God, the revelation that God wanted came out of Moses fasting. He didn't have a dream. You know, he probably had an encounter. But he was, in fa he was fasting. He's in his spirit. So fasting produces intimacy. Fasting enables us to hear from God. Daniel's, Daniel, we give two examples of fasting in the book of Daniel as well. Daniel's taken from his city. He's taken from his culture. He's taken from his language. He finds himself in a world that he doesn't know, and everything is different. Everything is changed. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know where he's at. He's in everything shifted, and he's not quite sure that he's up to the challenge of this new place that he finds himself in. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're not quite sure that you're up to the challenge of what life is presenting you. That's how Daniel felt. And so he fasted. The Bible says that he fasted. The first fast was a 10-day fast. He fasted, and he, what did he do? He abstained from, from bread, meat, and sweets. And so he ate fruits and vegetables. And the king didn't want him to do that because the servant of the king was like, hey, look, if, I, if I'm responsible for you, so if you look like really haggard and the king comes in, he's going to kill me because you look bad. And Daniel said, just give us 10 days. Just give us 10 days. And if we don't look better than the rest of these dudes after 10 days, well, then we'll go on your diet plan. But this is the one we're going to go on. And the Bible says that in that time, God gave him wisdom. In that time, God gave him favor. And the wisdom that was pronounced upon Daniel was so great that he became a counselor to the king. Through fasting, he began to hear the word of the Lord, and God began to show him, and God began to impart wisdom, because, mo because Daniel was not hungering for the things of earth. He was hungering for the things of heaven. So we see this pattern. We see the pattern of intimacy. We see the pattern of hearing God. We see the pattern of spiritual breakthrough. This is a big one in our generation. This couldn't be bigger. Spiritual breakthrough through prayer and fasting could not be bigger. It couldn't be bigger. And we, here we see Daniel. This is his second fast. He had a vision, God had a call on his life, and he had a vision and he had a purpose. But what Daniel began to pray and fast about is they're in a strange country. Daniel's been going through some stuff, and he's been going through some stuff for a long time. Anybody here? He's been going through some stuff, and he's been going through some stuff for a long time. And Daniel is sick and tired of being sick and tired. He's like, when is this going to be over? When is my season going to change? And so he began to fast and pray as to how God would change the season of his life and also the life of his people. And so he's fasting and praying. The Bible says he fasts and prays for 21 days. And an angel eventually shows up, and I'm going to read it for you. And the angel doesn't even just show him a vision of the immediate. God, see, God's always the God of the overflow. And if you're aware of that, 
He always goes beyond. He always levels up. We ask him for this, and he gives us this. That's just how he is. And so Daniel's asking him for the now, and God says, I'm not going to give you the now. I'm going to give you the eternal. And so Daniel was given a revelation of the return of Christ. And if you know anything about prophetic things or what's called eschatology, which is the study of end times, a, a large portion of our understanding comes from the book of Daniel. And how did Daniel achieve such revelation? Through prayer and fasting. He didn't ask for it, but God showed up and gave it to him. You know, God shows up and gives him something. He's like, whoa, what is this? I don't even know what you just showed me. So here's what it says in Daniel chapter 10. This is the second fast. Daniel says, I have been fasting for three weeks, 21 days. I had eaten no rich food, no meat nor wine crossed my lips. And an angel appeared to him. So he's praying and he's interceding and he's calling out to God and he's seeking the Lord. Angel shows up and says, Daniel, from the very first time you began to pray and humble yourself, the Lord heard your request. Aren't you glad? From the very first moment we pray, he hears but it took 21 days to get an answer? Huh? We can't, we, that's three weeks. We can't wait three minutes. I prayed three minutes ago. Where's my word? I prayed three minutes ago. Where's my answer? Or better yet, I prayed three days ago. I've been praying for three days. Daniel prayed for three weeks. And he had no indication that the answer was going to come. And after 21 days, the answer showed up. Why did it take so long? The angel said, listen, as soon as you prayed, the father dispatched the message through me. But after 21 days, for 21 days, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, which is a principality, a spiritual principality over the nation of Persia, was blocking the will of God from coming to the servant of God. So the angel is dispatched with the message, and the angelic principality, the demonic principality, rises up to contend with the answer from the Father. We see the picture? Why would that be? Why would, why would, they, why would they do that? Well, they, they, they resist it because what they do at the same time, so the, the demonic power is resisting the answer to prayer all the same time, probably telling Daniel, God doesn't hear you. God isn't answering you. God doesn't care. God doesn't love you. God isn't for you. If God, would have, if you, if God really was for you and he would have loved you, he would have answered you 10 days ago. That wasn't the case. And so we have this principality that's resisting Gabriel as he's trying to bring the message. And Gabriel says, listen, I couldn't get through, so I went back and I got Michael. The okay. Bible says Michael's a warrior angel. It's all he does. He's like daddy-o. That's all he does. Michael's looking for a fight. This is what he does. Angels are made for, they're singular in their purpose. We see this throughout scripture. Angelic beings are singular. They're messengers, they're, they're worship, they're, they're whatever, but they're, they're, their createdness, their being tends to be singular. And so what happened was, is Michael's a warrior. He fights. He loves to fight. So it's like a fight, let's go. Rumble. And so Michael comes, battles his way, and, and Gabriel shows up and says, I'm here to explain to you your future. And I'm here to explain to you the future of your people. And I'm here to give you a vision that concerns the time to come. That came to him through prayer and fasting. So if what prayer does, fasting does, is it creates intimacy, enables us to hear God, and enables prayer to come. How many prayers are not answered because we do not persist in prayer? How many prayers are not answered? And I'm guilty of this, and I just told the Lord, like, last week, like, I just, I, I, I've known about fasting for a long time, and I have to be honest, I've neglected it. I've neglected it. Why? Because it's not fun, right? Get my teeth pulled or go on a fast. I think I'll get my teeth pulled, you know? <laughs> it's just true, but I've known about it, but I've neglected it, and I've had to tell the Lord, you know, I'm wrong. I have to repent, return that attitude back to him. It's, I've been wrong on that. 
because he shows us in his word that it's a principle of who we are. And we, we complain and we wonder, and have we applied the principles that he's given us? Have we used the tools that he's given us? That's the question. And so Daniel experiences a breakthrough because of prayer and fasting. Here's another one, Mark chapter 9. What's the setup? Here's the setup of the story. It's also, also in Matthew 17. Jesus has gone up to the mountain, and as he goes up to this mountain, he, he's going to die. He's on his way to the cross, and he knows that his time with his disciples is winding down. So he wants to be crystal clear. He wants them to be completely clear on who he is and what he's come to do. And so he would tell them all the time, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be crucified, but don't worry, I'm going to rise again. You know, he said that multiple times to them, so they were not fuzzy on what Jesus was going to do, yet they all seemed surprised. And when it happened, they're like, what, what happened here? I mean, he only told you like 10 times what was going to happen, but you just didn't seem to get it. But, well, in, in this instance, what he's doing is he's up on the mountain. He takes his three closest disciples, James, Peter, and John, and he's up on the mountain, and he reveals himself to his disciples. He transfigures. He shifts into his glory. Hello, what does that look like? I don't know, but it sounds really cool. Right? And it was so cool that Peter's like, it is good that we're here. Let's build a house. Let's never leave this place. The glory is here. The power is here. This is awesome. And Jesus is like, no, that's not the point. The point of the power is to take it into the valley. That Jesus brought them up to the mountain to show them the power in order that they would be able to take that power into the valley. That's the whole point. We miss it. You know, we have churches, I've seen churches that build themselves, they build monuments around something that happened in 1972. Bless God, there was a spiritual revival that happened here in 1972. We're never going to forget it. We're living out of 1972. No, we can't paint the walls. Yeah, but dude, that brown went out like in 1979. That's okay, but 1972, this paint was on the wall during the revival. You don't understand. We can't touch anything. We build monuments to past moves of God. We build monuments to divine encounters with God. The whole point of the encounter is to take you forward. The whole point of the encounter is to take you into the valley, to take you into the need. God calls you to the mountain to reveal and give in order that you take that into the valley. So Peter wanted to stay there. And then Jesus is like, no, we're not staying here. And so he takes him down into the valley. And when he comes down into the valley, he sees, here it is, Mark 9, he sees a great multitude of people, scribes, disputing with the disciples. Who were the scribes? The scribes were the doctrinally correct people. They knew all of their doctrine. They had every I dotted and every T crossed. And so here we have a demoniac. We have a boy who's tormented by evil spirits. And we have a conflict between the disciples and the religiously correct. And the disciples are like, we need to pray and get the devil out of him. And the scribes are like, there's no healing today. There's no power today. We, you know, This is the kind of debate that's going on between the disciples, those that will the kingdom, and those that are just all doctrinally correct and theologically correct, and every, every T crossed and every I dotted. And they deny the power. And immediately when they saw him, the people were greatly amazed. And they said, look, there's Jesus. And they ran to him. And the scribes said, he asked the scribes, he says, what are you discussing? And the father jumps in. The scribes don't even ask him because they don't even want to, they don't even want to deal with Jesus because Jesus is like, you know, he basically blows their doors off every time he talks to them. So they're like, Jesus is like, what, what are you talking about? And like, well, we're not talking about anything. And the father steps up and says, I brought my son to your disciples, and he is mute. And he has a spirit that seizes him and throws him down, and he foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. And Jesus said, faithless and perverse generation, how long must I deal with you? How long must I bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought him to him, and when they saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed. So they bring the boy, boy sees Jesus, and he freaks, the spirit freaks. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. 
And so we asked the father, Jesus doesn't even react. He's like, okay, how's it, how long has he been like this? And the father said, from childhood, he's thrown him down into the fire and into the water to destroy him. And the father looks at him like fathers do when they can't help their children, right? And he says, if you can do anything for me, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, it's faith, brother. If you can believe, all things are possible for those who believe. And immediately the father cried out with tears and said, Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. I'm in faith, but clearly there's a part of me that's not. Look at my son. And Jesus saw that the people were running together. Okay, so we got a demoniac on the floor, writhing around, convulsing and foaming at the mouth. That draws a crowd. Okay, in case you don't know, everybody's like, what the heck's going on? Whoa, what's going on over there? Everybody's like, kind of draw, comes around. So Jesus sees the crowd coming. He's like, okay. And so he rebukes the unclean spirit and says to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you to come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit convulsed and cried greatly and came out of him and became as one dead. So many said, he's dead. And Jesus reached out his hand and took him and lifted him up and he arose. And he came into the house and his disciples pulled Jesus aside and they said, what was our problem? Why could we not take authority over the spirit? Why could we not cast the spirit out? The implication was is that they were doing that. That's the understanding. In other words, we've been doing this. What was our problem over here? We've never had this problem before. So what is it that we're encountering now that we can't overcome? And Jesus said, this kind comes not out but by prayer and what? Help me. Fasting. This kind. This kind. What the heck? What kind? What kind of spirit is this? You say he's deaf and dumb. He's more than deaf and dumb. He's generational. Jesus said, wicked and perverse generation. Every time Jesus uses those words, and he uses them often, he's speaking to a people who have a twisted knowledge of who he is. Every time they perceive him to be something that he is not, he said, your twisted and perverse generation seeks a sign. You're twisted. You think I do miracles by Beelzebub? You're twisted. You think that I can't heal this boy? You're twisted. You think that my power doesn't operate in the world today? You're twisted. Twisted and perverse generation. He even corrected the leaders of his, of, his, of his people. And he said, twisted and perverse generation seeks a sign. None will be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. Because you do not discern who I am, you will not experience nor will you see miracles other than salvation. This is the state of the church today. Without power. Church of Laodicea, that's who we are. Because we disdain miracles, we disdain power, we don't want anything to do with the power of God. And so the church sees nothing but the sign of the prophet Jonah, which is what? Resurrection. I hear pastors all the time, they, I, I talk to guys, they're like, oh, there's no miracles today. I go, except salvation, right? So Jesus has ended all miracles except the miracle of salvation. Is that what you're saying? I mean, it makes absolutely no sense. It makes absolutely not, no rationale. What kind of spirit is this? This is a generational spirit. That boy is a manifestation of a generational spirit. Layer upon layer had been laid down, and now this generation had inherited this spirit, a deaf and dumb spirit, deaf to the word of God, dumb to the principles of the kingdom, absolutely powerless and without hope. That's where they were. And so Jesus didn't indict the father. He didn't indict the, son, the, the disciples. He didn't even indict the Pharisees. He indicted the whole generation. He said, all of you have inherited this. All of you. And we have, a, we have a spirit today upon the church that's deaf and dumb, ignorant to the word of God. We are woefully ignorant to the scriptures, woefully. Yet we, we are so quick to share our opinion. You have no idea the people I meet. You have no idea the Christians that want to talk to me. And they want to talk to me about doctrine, and they don't know a thing. They know nothing. And I tell them, you shouldn't even be talking. You, why, why are you, I hope you're not teaching that. You don't know what you're talking about. You know? So what Jesus said to, the, to um, Nicodemus. He said, are you teaching my people, and yet you don't understand these things? You don't understand supernatural? You don't understand power? You don't know what it means to be born again? You don't understand the way of the Spirit? That's what he's saying. 
but you're teaching this? We have a deaf and dumb spirit on our church. We have a deaf and dumb spirit on our generation. And the only way you remove a deaf and dumb spirit off of a generation is when people will pray and fast. So Jesus is saying, there's a deaf and dumb spirit in the land, people. It's there. And I believe that God is asking for people to pray. I believe that God is asking for a church that will call out and will remove the deaf and dumb spirit off of a land, off of a nation. We're deaf and dumb as a culture. I don't know if you know that. Your government does not have the answer. You think these guys got the answers? They're deaf and they're dumb. They're just, they're just, they look at the situation and they're guessing. They're, we're groping like blind people in a dark room. That's what we're doing. Deaf and dumb, without the wisdom, without the revelation, without the purposes of God. And it's been inherited. Like these people, it was inherited. It's transgenerational. All of the failures of the previous generation has now come, to, come home to roost upon that boy. That boy is, is an epicenter. That boy is a manifestation of the culture as a whole. Seized, weeping, foaming, convulsing, no power, paralyzed, can't even face life, deaf and dumb. Can't hear the word of God, no interest in hearing the word of God. Ignorant to how we even apply the kingdom. Ignorant to even how we apply it. It's just how we are. So it's like repentance. Repentance is a key. Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. Father, forgive me for not valuing the things that you value. Father, forgive me for not understanding the principles with which you have clearly laid down. Father, forgive me for not applying the things to which you have called me to apply. That's how it all begins. We don't teach this in our churches, guys. This is why the church lacks power. Because we want to give you bubble gum and cotton candy on your way out the door and make sure everybody's happy, happy, joy, joy. It's just the truth. We don't say, we don't even use the word sin in our churches anymore. We don't use the three words that Jesus said the Holy Spirit uses. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. He said when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to testify of three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin, which, which, is, what is, which is where you're off. Righteousness, which is right to God. And judgment, which is the consequences for denying him. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That is the, very, that is the essence of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So when we don't use the word sin in church, we are absolutely nullifying the work of the Holy Spirit. When we don't proclaim what is right to God, that's what righteousness is, we are nullifying the work of the Holy Spirit. We may as well stop calling ourselves churches, and we may as well put Moose Lodge over our church. We should, I'm serious, we should remove that name all entirely. I believe God is calling for revival, and he's calling for awakening. I shared it in first service. We're calling a revival is a move of spirit of God's spirit in the land, transforming hearts, transforming lives, where people come to Christ and people fall down and repent and cry out to God, and there's utter change on every level. That's revival. Societal change on every level. And we cry out for it. And I have people all the time, oh, we're revivalists, we're crying out, and I'm all for it. I support you. You're a revivalist, man. Praise God. I bless you. Do the work of the evangelist. Do the work of a revivalist. Do it. But do you understand the principles? Joel chapter 2, the principle of revival, the times of refreshing that come upon the nation are preceded by times of fasting and prayer. Read it. Joel chapter 2, return unto me with fasting, prayer, weeping, and mourning. And then you read on down. He tells me a few more things. And then times of refreshing come upon the land. We call for times of refreshing. But God's calling for us to pray. God's calling for us to set aside the hunger for this world and the hunger for the things of his world. And we do that through, fa through fasting. If we, seek what is, if we seek the kingdom and what is right to God, we seek that first, then everything else comes. Fasting's a key component to it. 
It's just what it is. And so why fasting produces breakthrough. We want breakthrough in our culture. Do you want breakthrough with your children? Do you want breakthrough in a generation that doesn't know their left hand from their right hand, that is sexually confused on every level? They're not, they're not, their gender is metro. They're, they're bi-gender. That's our culture. A culture of children who are weeping and foaming and gnashing and do not know who they are or what they are. And the enemy grabs them and throws them into pools of destruction, grabs them and throws them into consuming fires. And if you don't think that's going on, you should just go visit a few high schools. Go visit a few public high schools, and you'll see exactly what's happening in our culture. And our children are a manifestation of the spirit that is on our nation. We have godlessness. You work with these kids. You work with them. Jeremiah works with them. You want to talk about crazy stuff? Go talk to him. He works with young people that are really in bad conditions, in bad shape. And you, it's, is it not overwhelming? It's overwhelming. It probably leaves you speechless. You're, psychologists today say they have never encountered the depth of emotional brokenness that we have today. There are counselors that don't even have words. They can't, they, there's no book on what our culture is dealing with. There's no book on it. They can't look back to the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, or even the 2000s and say, well, here's the pattern. They can't find it. Counselors don't even have words. It's a manifestation of a spirit. It's a generational inheritance, and we have been so silent for so long, and we have been so prayerless for so long. And the deaf and dumb spirit invades our land. It's just there. You know? And what, what the deaf and dumb spirit does is it makes us dumb to the reality of what's happening. It puts you to sleep. Just go to sleep. Just ignore that. It's just part of the way things are. It's just it. It's just how it is. But see, the problem is, is that heaven is not like that. God sees everything that's going on. God cares for a generation. He cares. He cares. And I believe he wants to shift a generation. I believe he wants to create a generational shift. You say you're crazy. Well, I'm going to go for it. <laughs> I'm inviting you guys to join me. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek God. We're going to go in that direction. Yeah, come on. I want change. I want to see God do something great in my land. I'm not satisfied. If my people, if the government, that's not what it says, if the president, if the mayor, you know, if the Moose Lodge, if the Kiwanis Club would just do something about this, if the social service system would just do something about this, the Bible doesn't say that. It says, if my people who are what? called by my name, will what? Humble themselves and pray and turn from their selfish ways. Then I will what? Hear from heaven and do what? Move my hand and heal the land. You want me to move? Humble yourself, pray. Let it matter to you as much as it matters to me. This is what we do. We go, oh, it doesn't matter to God or he would doing something about it. You don't understand the kingdom there either. It doesn't, nothing matters to God until it matters to you. Bartimaeus was blind and would have sat by the road blind for the rest of his life. If, it did, if his blindness didn't matter to him. Jesus walked by. Read the story. Jesus was passing by. Didn't even notice Bartimaeus. Did, did Bartimaeus' blindness matter to Jesus? Absolutely. But Jesus wasn't concerned. It was, he's like, I'm not going to care more than you care. Bartimaeus screamed and cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. He goes to the guy at the well. He says the same thing to him. Do you want to be made well? In other words, I'm not going to work any harder than you, dude. You know, Does this matter to you? It has to matter to us. It has to matter to us. And the way it matters to us is when we stop feeding on the things of the world and we start looking at the things of the Spirit. I've been fasting for two days, so you know. So I'm a little, I'm a little jacked right now. So. 
and say, you're gonna, we're going to fast on the 10th. We, I want to fast the church to fast it. I'll show you all what I want to do, and I want to invite you to be a part of it. But I'm trying to get into this thing before I even bring you into it. So what does fasting do? It produces next level re revelation. Found in Jesus, Moses, and Daniel, same thing. Next level, next level. Fasting realigns us with heaven. We learn to feed on his word. What's the problem? What happened to Adam and Eve? What did they do? Anybody know? What'd they do? They saw the tree, they took the fruit, and they did what? They ate, right? They ate of it. And the idea was is that they, they indulged themselves. And so food has been a problem. And so God somehow has linked our redemption, not our salvation, but our redemption, you know, like our, our coming out of something. That's what redeeming means. He's linked our coming out to fasting for whatever reason. And I think it's because that food's been a big problem. You know, and it's not that there's anything wrong with food. The problem with food is it represents self-indulgence. It's a desire for the things of the world rather than the things of heaven. And when Adam and Eve took the tree, they said, we don't want you, we want that. We don't want your world, we want this world. Sodom and Gomorrah, many people understand the, the town of Sodom and Gomorrah, and we understand what they did and why they did and why judgment or God removed them. And we think that it was for some sexual things. Well, yes, that's true. But there are other things going on there. Sexual things were nothing more than the fruit of a self-indulgent life. Ezekiel 16 says, look at the iniquity of your sister Sodom. The prophet is prophesying to the nation of Israel, and he's comparing them to Sodom. Now, that would have been a problem if you were a Jew. You know, you're like, wait a second. You're trying to tell me we're like them? And that's exactly what the prophet was saying. He's like, yeah, you've become like them. Well, what was Sodom's problem? Full of pride. Fullness of food. Abundantly idle refusing to strengthen the poor and needy, becoming haughty in their own heart and committing sexual abomination before me. Those are the sins of Sodom. And we think it was only one. That one was a result of pride of heart. That one was a result of idleness of, idleness of hands. That one was a result of fullness of food. And this idea of fullness of food in the ancient world, they were gluttons. They actually worshiped a god of gluttony. Can you imagine a god of gluttony? They had barf chambers. They did. You can, you can look at the stories of all the ancient world. And they did, when they would have parties, the Romans would worship a god named Bacchus, and it would be a beer fest or a party, a liquor fest, and they would dig a barf pit. They did the same thing for their dinner parties. The idea was to completely engross yourself with food and drink, that when you walked outside, you could heave into the pit, and then you could go right back in and, and eat again. That's, that's how they celebrated. I know it seems gross to us. But that's the idea. That's what the Bible's relating to, is that type of fullness of food. It didn't mean that they had a really good dinner at Chili's, and they were feeling really good, or had a couple of bagels after church. It wasn't, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about that level of indulgence, that they were indulging themselves to such an extreme, and they didn't care about anybody else around them. They were indulging themselves to such an extreme that they would never even help anyone that was around them. That's what God was talking about. Self-indulgence. They had no desire for spiritual things. So there we have Sodom. Now we have Esau. Anybody know the story of Esau? He had a birthright. He had a right of inheritance. Christian, you have a right of inheritance purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. A right of inheritance that gives you access to his world. A right of inheritance that gives you the power and the purposes of his kingdom. A right of inheritance that can change everything about you and the world around you. You have a right of inheritance. Esau had a right of inheritance, but it meant nothing to him. He traded his birthright for a bowl of lentils and some stew, right? It sounds good. Red lentils and like game steak. Man, that sounds like amazing. I don't know if I'd trade my birthright for it, but Esau, <laughs> Esau cared only about himself, and he was not willing to, to, to honor his birthright. 
And so he cared only about himself. And so he traded his birthright to his brother because his birthright meant nothing to him. And so here we have a group of people that were removed. We have, we, we have a group of people that were removed from God's presence, a group of people that were removed from the culture. And we have Esau who could never access his birthright because he couldn't get past himself. One of the things fasting does is it denies you. Huh. It puts your flesh to death. It gives new meaning to the word crucify the flesh. <laughs> anyway. So Israel. So we talk about Israel. Here again, we have a problem. God brings Israel out of Egypt. As he's bringing them out of Egypt, what is he doing to them? The Bible says he caused them to hunger and suffer lack, that they would learn that they do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. So God brings them out, takes away from them all of the things of Egypt, and begins to feed them with heaven's food, begins to feed them with manna. Okay? They were completely healthy. They were provided for in every way. They needed and wanted for nothing. What God was doing was shifting their appetites taking them out of an appetite from the world and causing them to want to hunger and for, for a heavenly world, to learn to feed on the heavenly things, to hunger for the heavenly things, and to draw their satisfaction from the heavenly things. But they complained. They said, oh, it was that mixed multitude. They had a mixed multitude. That mixed multitude said, oh, man, when I was in Egypt, we had onions and leeks in our pots, man. We had meat every night. They were slaves. Did they forget that? I mean, somewhere along the line, they forgot the fact that there was a whip on their back and there were chains on their feet. They couldn't come and go. Now all of a sudden they're out here serving the Lord and it just looks so glorious back where they came from. And they cried out to God for meat and God gave them meat. He gave them meat. He's, uh, the Bible says that the meat that God provided was they, the, the quail, they could stack up to two feet high. And they perished in eating the meat. They lost the promised land because they desired to feed on these things rather than the things of God. That's the point. What fasting does is it shifts our appetite. God is looking for a people whose appetites are shifted towards him. That's what he's looking for, okay? He's looking for that. His eyes roam to and fro. The Lord's eyes roam to and fro, searching for those whose hearts are what? Truly his. That's what he's looking for. I'm looking for those who are hungry for me. Why? When I find them, I will show myself strong. That's what the Bible says. So what are we looking to do as a church? What are we wanting to do? What is it that I'm asking you to do? What is it that we're planning to do? Well, we want to do a 21-day Daniel fast. Woohoo! Yes, rock on. What does that mean? No meat, no bread, no sweets for 21 days. We can have salad. So we're not going hardcore. I've done hardcore fasts before. This, I'm like, okay, let's, 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 let's do the Daniel fast. Let's do the, the visitation fast. Jesus did the power fast, returning in the power of the Spirit after no food for 40 days. I don't know if I'm ready for that, but uh, <laughs> we can do the Daniel fast. You say, well, man, I don't know. I'm not too sure. So we're asking you to be a part of this. We're going to start on January the 10th, which is a Sunday. We're going to go to January the 31st. We're going to have three Fridays of prayer starting. I got the dates. I got to look at the dates. I don't know. I think it's the 15th, 22nd, and 29th are the three Fridays of prayer. So we're asking you to be a part of the fast with us, and I'll tell you what we're believing God for, and I'm, I'm hoping to coach you a little bit more over the next couple of weeks and to tell you some things that you should believe God for, you should be listening for, and you, as you go down this journey, trying to help and resource you a little bit. But if you don't want to do the full Daniel fast 21 days, okay, we're asking you to interact in some other way. Maybe you can fast the news. Can you fast the news for 21 days? I don't know about that. How about coffee? I'm not giving up coffee. I'd rather give up meat or whatever, something else. So I'm like, I'm still in the, the coffee lane. But sorry. <laughs> I know, pray for me. Maybe I'll break that, that, that dependency somewhere along the line. But we're asking you to interact in some other way. Maybe you could fast something. And probably what, 
you know, it's usually good when you're fasting is to not really watch a lot of television anyway because inadvertently out comes that new cheese pizza. Right about the time you start your fast, Pizza Hut introduces a new six-layer crust pizza and the cheese is bubbling and you're just like, you're ready to lick the television set. You know, you're like, <laughs> bring that over. We fasted before and we walked through the grocery store. I was doing a fast with a friend of mine and he was saying, man, I had a hard time today because he was in a catering business. And he said, I was walking down the grocery aisle and he said, and I was in the sauce line and he said, and I stopped and I looked at a jar of barbecue sauce and I said to myself, I could chug that barbecue sauce right now. <laughs> so we're asking you to do something meaningful. If you want to do the 21 days, we're calling you to that. Fast out something meaningful. Other, another way to interact if you want to go um, part of the way is to, enter, is to fast with us on the three corporate prayer days, which would be the 15th, 22nd, and 29th. That's what we're doing. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time teaching it, but I just wanted to lay a foundation for what fasting is today. And so we want to start the fast on the 10th. We want it to roll through the 31st. And uh, what are we believing God for? We're believing God for revelation into the new season, that he would reveal the new season to us, and not just to this church, but that he would reveal the new season to you. Anybody want a new season? Anybody need answers? Anybody need, we're going to believe God for answers. We're going to believe God that he speaks. We're going to believe God for a next level increase, that God is going to produce something in us through this fast that causes us to increase. We're going to believe God for a generational shift in our land. That's a big one for me because I think that's kind of what God has been pointing at. I kept reading this. I, I was reading the book of Mark, and then um, so I read it up to probably chapter 10 or 11. And then the other day I opened my Bible, and the book and the Bible opened up to Mark 9. So I was like, oh, I'll read it again. And then like a couple days later, I'm going to read something else. And I just flipped the Bible open, and boom, it was Mark 9 again. And it was that whole story, that whole generational story that I shared. And so I'm like, okay. And I was going to ignore it, but I kind of felt the Lord was like, read 9, read 9. And so I was, re all right, I'll read nine. And so I started reading nine, and I felt like the Lord was showing me these things in there. And so my meditation or my prayer was, what are you showing? And I feel like God wants somebody to believe him for a generational shift. That's what I feel like he's doing. The Lord can do nothing but an answer to prayer. It's important that you know that. And he's looking for people who will intercede and invite him to do something in the world that he wants to do already. He, he, he comes when we ask. And so I feel like that's one of the things that God is asking is that can we find, will there be a group of people who will, who will pray and ask me to do a generational shift? Will there be a group of people that will ask me to remove the deaf and dumbness off of this time and off of this era, and off of this place? And that's one of the things that we want to believe God for. Um, when I was first a Christian, I wanted to grow. So if you're a young Christian, this is a great opportunity to grow. And, and I really wanted to grow more than I wanted anything else. I wanted Jesus more than I wanted anything else. My past was such a mess. And I was coming, I tried everything, I did it my way, Frank Sinatra, and nothing worked, okay? And I felt like Jesus had, Jesus was presented to me as the new way and the new opportunity, and so I wanted to embrace that fully. And so I tried to pray, and I tried to ask and try to find out the keys to my growth, because I wanted to grow more than anything. I wanted to grow. I was not satisfied being an infant as a Christian. I wanted to grow. And so I was trying to find out what God wanted and how I could grow the fastest. And so I was reading my Bible, and I was praying, and I started fasting. And so I was spending a lot of time fasting and praying and fasting and praying and fasting and praying. And I had a job, but we lived in, I, was, I wasn't married at the time, and I was living in um, a house with another dude. We had no furniture, total man style, lawn chairs, you know. <laughs> You're with me, man. Mattress on the floor, that's it. That's all we had. And, uh, and so I was just praying and asking the Lord, all of you, for all of me, all of me, you know, just come into me, change me, shift me. I want intimacy with you. And during this time of fasting, I got up to get water, went back into the room. And when I walked into the room, I started speaking in tongues. 
Okay, now that may seem weird to some of you, but that's my story, how I started, and what, what it was that I was asking for, he actually granted me, you know, and it was really weird to me, because I'd never, I'd, I'd come from an experience with people, churches kind of with my family, there was no kind of any of that, but I get born again, and I'm in this church, and I have all these young people, they're all my age, and when they would pray over me, they would all speak in tongues, and I would be like, what the heck is going on with this, you know, it was just this crazy thing, we'd be in these environments, and these, like, 20-something people would just be, like, laying hands on me, and I was like, man, what's going on with them, and so I wasn't even really asking God to give me that, what I was asking him for was intimacy, and what he gave me was he gave me tongues, which is a prayer language of intimacy, that's the whole point of what tongues is, is an intimate prayer language, an interaction of intimacy through the prayer language. Another time I was fasting and praying 21 days. This was a funny story to me anyway. It may not be to you. But um, we were going to start this church, and we were coming out of something in order, and I felt like God was calling us forward, and he wanted us to plant this church. And so I decided I'm going to fast, and I'm going to hear the Lord. And so I was going for 21 days, which I made it. And I made 21 days by going three, by going 10. And then once I got to about 15, I'm like, 21's easy. You know, and so I ended up getting there. But during the time of this fast, you're going to get hungry. Um, we were at the house, and we had a bunch of people over the house. And uh, our friend Alfred, our Mexican guy, he made homemade uh, salsa, uh, guacamole, really good guacamole. And he comes in with a steaming plate of chips. It, you remember that, Sherry? And this bowl of guacamole. She wasn't fasting. I was. And so there's a whole bunch of people, and they're all, like, gorging on these, on these chips. They're like, oh, my gosh, this is the best guacamole I've ever had, you know. And so I'm standing there going, Arr! you know, that was what was going on. But I was believing God, and I was asking the Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And I kept feeling like we were supposed to start a church. We are supposed to plant a church. I kept feeling that was what God was calling me to do, but I wasn't sure of the timing. So I kept asking God, when, 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 when? And one of the times when, in prayer when I was asking him that, I kept hearing Exodus chapter 1. Okay? So I'm fasting, I'm praying, I'm asking God for direction, I'm asking him for timing. I'm like, when do you want me to do this? When do you want us to do this? What, what, do, you, what do you want to do? Exodus chapter 1, I'm like, yeah, Exodus, Lord, leave, go out, you know, cross the river, you know, go, to do it. I got it, Exodus, I got it. And I kept hearing Exodus 1, Exodus 1. And so, and again, my question was when? And so I opened up my Bible to Exodus 1. I had a King James at the time, right, old school. And so I opened up to Exodus 1. Exodus chapter 1, first word in the King James is the word now. And it was in big letters. You don't think the Holy Spirit knows his word? He knows his book. It's like Kevin's wondering now. Well, let's see. Let me see. Let's go with Exodus 1. That kind of plays in there. And so Exodus 1 opened it up, and it was like, and I started, okay, Exodus 1. Now, now. You know, God will speak to you. He's going to speak to you. It's important that when you fast and when we fast, and I'll try to lay out this a little bit more in a couple weeks as we kind of pull in this way, is that when we fast, it's important that you're believing God for something. Whether you're believing Him for intimacy, whether you're believing Him for direction, whether you're believing Him for guidance, whether you're believing Him for a shift, that you believe God for something in the midst of it, and that you spiritually interact during the time of fasting. That's very important as well. And so hopefully we'll do that. But what I want to do today is I want to kind of give you an idea of what this is, and I want to invite you into a challenge, and I want to challenge us. I want to challenge us. I want to, we've baptized the most number of people we've baptized in a single year, 65. I want to baptize 100 people. You say, that's ambitious. I know. Trust me, I know. You know, I want to baptize, yeah, come on. I want to see something happen this year that's never happened before. You know, we have some visions, we have some plans that are very grand and uh, requires a lot in order for us to do it. And so we're going to outpunch our weight class, and we fully expect God to meet us at that place because we believe he's calling us to it. And so I think that God is calling for this. He's calling for something great. And I believe that the Father is, is discontent with the state of the land. 
And I think he, he's calling people to seek him. That's all I can tell you, you know. And my whole heart is to find out what he wants and to try to give it to him. That's your job, too. What does Jesus want? We're, our job is to give Jesus what he wants, and our job is to give Jesus what he paid for. You know, if Jesus paid for it, it's our job to give it back to him and to make sure he receives what he paid for. And it's our job to give Jesus what he's asking for. And so I'm simply trying to ask God, what do you want? What do you want? You know, and I wasn't planning on going down the road of fasting. Hey, Christmas, woo, what a party. Great Christmas cookies. Fasting, whoa, hey, what's going on? But it is the first of the year, and we want to offer the first of the year to the Lord, which is another principle of first fruits, which is, again, a key to expansion within the kingdom. And so we want to apply that principle of first fruits. We want to give God the first of the year. I want to, God, I want to journal some of this stuff, and I want to write some of this stuff out. And then at the end of the year, we want to evaluate, and we want to see the shifts that God made. And I believe he's going to do some great things. I believe he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. That's what I believe he's going to do. You believe it? All right. So I'll talk about it for the next couple weeks. But starting on January the 10th, we're, going to, we're just going to go for it. And uh, yeah. All right. Let me pray. Father, we just give you thanks, Lord. I thank you for